0: tell me something significant that happened on the 15th of September this year. Now, you have to tell me the thing I'm thinking of, not something else random. (laughs) Pete Hibbs. I've got a prize. (laughs) I haven't got a prize. I forgot the prize. Um, We started our series in Joseph. Have I got some slides coming up? We started our series in Joseph on the 15th of September this year. Uh, And today, we finish our series in Joseph. Oh, it's been good, hasn't it? Yes. It's been such a good series. I do want some slides. I don't want them to go crazy like the last ones, just like on a mad loop, but um, they'll come up in a minute. If you need to turn the tellys back on, you probably have to come right down here, I'm afraid. Don't worry about them, they'll sort out the tech. So, we've had this long series on the uh, story of Joseph from the book of Genesis in the Bible. It's been really good. This is my Bible. And right at the beginning of it, there's a book called Genesis. And that's where we've been for the last two and a half months or so. And uh, I'm sure somebody out there knows what Genesis means. It means beginning. It means beginning. And that's because it's the start of this book, the the Bible. And it's the start of this incredible story. I'm going to wait for these guys. Otherwise, you're going to be so distracted. You're not listening to me, right? The slides are worth it, I hope. (laughs) I hope so, they just help, they help you, they certainly help me, so. Okay, so it means beginning, and that's where this story, this book starts, is Genesis, the beginning. It means beginning, and the story that we've read about in Joseph, and the story that this whole book is about, is a story of rescue, all right? And rescue is, a, there's another word that is a bit like rescue, and it's salvation, there we go. Let's just click it. Look, Genesis means beginning. Okay, we've done that. We've covered that. It's a story about rescue. It's also another word for rescue, salvation, which is a bit of a Christian-sounding word, isn't it? It's in the Bible a lot, but basically it just means rescue. It just means somebody needs rescuing, and they get saved. They're saved from their predicament. That's what salvation is, and this whole book is about that. It's about rescue. It's about salvation. You know the phrase, the Morse code for Help is a SOS, right? Save our souls, save us, help us, rescue us. And we're going to look at what that means. And so for some of you, you may not have been around for the last couple of months. Some of you I know have and have listened diligently to every sermon and even caught up online if you've missed them. But, oops, some of you haven't. But for the benefit of some of you, I'm going to run through the story so far quite quickly. So stick with it, because I'm just going to give a quick recap. don't want to spend loads of time on it, but it's helpful. Okay, so this is the story of Joseph. Correct me at any point if I get something wrong. Okay, listen up. So we start off with a 17-year-old boy called Joseph. He's uh, the young 11th son of 12, so he's a young boy. He's only 17, uh, and he has dreams about being great and about his family bowing to him. He's his dad's favorite, and his brothers hate that. Okay, we started with that, didn't we? His father is Jacob also known as Israel, who is the man, one man in a line of many, who God calls to lead a family that he's going to bless and make a great blessing to the world. That's where we start. So these brothers, they hate Joseph. They think he's full of himself. They're a wicked and dysfunctional lot, and they sell him uh, to traders on the road. They get rid of him. They don't like this daddy's boy. And they tell Jacob he's been killed by a wild animal. Uh, So poor Joseph is sold at the age of 17 into slavery. And although enslaved, we're told God was with him, and he gains the trust of his master Potiphar, and he's given great influence and an important position in his household, but life throws him a bit of a spanner, as it is wont to do, and uh, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of sexual assault, he gets banged up in prison, Uh, he hasn't done anything wrong, but he's sent to prison, but we read that in prison, God is with him. And again, he elevates him. He has this position of importance in the prison, and he's very influential. God is with him, and God enables him to interpret the dreams of a couple of guys he meets in prison. And he thinks, hey, this is my ticket out of here. Unfortunately, life throws him a bit of a spanner. It doesn't work out the way he hopes, and he ends up just languishing in jail for years more. He gets forgotten. But, we're told, God was with him. He interprets uh, the dreams of the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh as he's known. And that is his ticket out. Uh, and Pharaoh gives him this incredible job. Essentially, he's like prime minister, governor of the whole nation of Egypt. Very important guy. What a turnaround. Yeah? And in this position of governor of Egypt, he, uh, he uh, achieves this incredible feat of administrative genius. And he's, he saves Egypt and many other nations from famine, from starvation. He's incredible. He does an incredible job. He serves the nation. It's not even his nation. And he does this incredible thing. And then in this famine, we read... These brothers come from far away. Remember this part of the story? And they bow to this important guy in Egypt, who's Joseph, and they ask for food. They say, we need saving. We need a rescue plan because we've we got no food where we come from. And they come to buy food, and he saves them. He gives them what they need. They don't know he's the brother they betrayed and sold. He forgives them. They're restored to one another. His, his dear father comes to meet his long-lost son. It's Incredible reunion all is well. Remember, Chris, if you were here last week, kind of the summary, the, the the ending of this story is like the ending he said of the whole of Genesis. Go back and listen to that online if you missed it. And what we read is that Jacob, the dad, then dies at a good old age, which is everybody's aim. You read the Old Testament; that is what they're aiming for: dying at a good old age, being taken to their fathers, by which they mean basically dying and joining people in death, but they want to live a good long life. Jacob does that. He dies. And then this happens. Um, The brothers then get worried that now Jacob has gone, they could be in for it with Joseph. Okay, They think, "Uh uh-uh, now our dad's gone. Joseph's not going to be so bothered about us. We could be in trouble here. He might want to pay us back for what we did to him. And that's where we've got to. We're right at the end of the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 50. And um, this is what Joseph says in response to that. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And they heaved a sigh of relief, it says. It doesn't say that bit, but... They did. They thought, oh, wow, it is real. He is actually for us, despite the fact that Jacob has gone. And I don't know if you've picked up over this series. I hope you have. That really, the writer of Genesis doesn't invite us to judge Joseph as good or bad, or his actions as good or bad. What we're constantly told through the story of Joseph is that God was with him. We read that refrain over and over again. The Lord is with him. And what we've seen and what we've tried to bring out through this series is that God... Had a plan. So God had a plan for the rescue of the nation of Israel. And we're not meant to look at Joseph as the answer. We're meant to see that God is at work and he uses Joseph. And Joseph sees that. He says here, doesn't he? Am I in the place of God? I'm not God. I didn't do this. God had a plan. He intended it for good, even though you messed up royally. Even though you got it wrong, God had a plan. God used Joseph. But Joseph is not our example. We're not meant to look to Joseph as the hero. We're meant to see that Joseph even himself saw, I'm just being used. I'm just a tool in God's hands. I'm just going <coughs> to go aside just for a minute. Um, so stay with me. We'll come back to the story in a moment. But there is, a, there is something that Joseph does right towards the end of this story. It's in chapter 47 that causes some people to um, actually think Joseph is not as great as you think. And that is this, there's a bit of a contentious issue in chapter 47 where the famine is getting so bad in Egypt, people are coming to buy food and they're bringing all their silver, they're bringing all the money they've got. And it gets to the point where they run out of money, so they come to Joseph and say, we've got no money left, we're starving, can we buy food with our livestock? Can we sell you our animals? Essentially our only way of living and making a living, we'll sell it to you to buy food and he he takes it. And they come to the point where they run out of money, they run out of livestock, Egypt is starving They don't know what to do. They come and they say, well, um, essentially we'll sell everything we've got to you just so we can survive. Uh, And they sell their land, all they have, their land, you know, the family's land. They come and Joseph says, yeah, I'll take it. And he buys for Egypt all the land from all the people in in return for food. And he gives them seed to sow so they can grow food. And even then he imposes a 20% tax on everything they grow. Now, some commentators, some people I've read have said, this just shows that he's not the golden boy you think he is, right? His economic policies seem pretty harsh. <laughs> and he leaves Egypt, if essentially the people of Egypt, enslaved, you could say, to the government, c- completely beholden. Others would see these Joseph's actions as just shrewd, successful way of doing business. He's looking after his master, Pharaoh's interests. And actually, in the process, he's saving all these people from starvation as well. Whichever way you read that, Go away and have a look at it. I want to mention it because it's there. But what it to me to make any difference? The point of this story is Joseph is not the hero. Okay, whether you think he's perfect, which he isn't because he's a human being, whether you think he's good or bad, whether you think his actions are right or wrong in different times, I think what we're supposed to see is that he's not the one we're supposed to look to. Yeah, he's not the hero of the story. God is at work and he's using people and means whatever he will, to achieve his plans. And that is the story of this book from start to finish, yeah? God has a plan and he will carry it through. So, if we see this plan of God as a rescue story, as I said at the beginning, and that this story is the beginning of that, that whole big story of salvation, how do we fit in? How do you fit in? How do you see yourself in that, story. And I know that for some people here, you're, you're old hands at this. You've been coming to church for decades and decades and hearing the Bible, and some of you not so much. You may feel really at home, like Tim shared earlier, or you may be a bit unsure. You may, be, you may have a million quid in the bank, or you may be skint. You, you may be, You come from all different walks of life with different experiences, but let me tell you, you do fit in this story, and I'm going to tell you how. So many of the people Chris spoke about last week, and apologies if you weren't here, people like Adam, uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, they remind us a bit of our flaws, don't we? Sometimes we look at them and we see ourselves because they are flawed people. Yeah? But the other thing they remind us of, as I've already said, is God's faithfulness to his plan, regardless of them. He uses them in spite of them. They, point that they show us. We look at them and we see, it's like looking in the mirror. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a human being. I'm flawed and I mess up. God is faithful to his plan but the other thing that they do is they serve to point us to someone who doesn't have flaws who is the ultimate rescuer and you can look at lots of these characters in the bible particularly as we've seen in Genesis and see actually there are things that are meant to remind us I believe of the one great rescuer who has no flaws the one who comes to affect your rescue and my rescue Here's a quote from um, a guy called Eric Raymond. When we collect the details of Joseph's life, we see a glorious reflection that closely mirrors another life we are so intimately familiar with. This is not because Joseph was Jesus' favorite Bible hero he wanted to emulate. It's because God is sovereign and he has been laying the tracks for the glory of Christ throughout redemptive history. In other words, all through the stories of Genesis and beyond. There's stories of rescue, aren't there? There's stories of salvation. It's like they're saved again. They're rescued from starvation. They're rescued most often from their own stupidity and sin. But every time there's a story of rescue and salvation, in the same way with Joseph's story, there's something lacking. It's never complete. It always feels like it's it's enough but not quite enough, you know? And that's because I believe every story of rescue and salvation we read through those Old Testament passages is like a step or a sign, um, or if you like, like a shadow. You know, the way something casts a shadow. It's like a shadow of the ultimate rescue story, which we're g- is what we're going to focus on today. And I want to look at some of the ways that Joseph's story particularly does that. If you haven't guessed already, I hope you have, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about God's ultimate plan to provide rescue and salvation for any and everyone who will come and say help. Any and everyone who recognizes their need for a rescuer and a saviour, which we're going to talk about. And Jesus, if you don't know these things, then I'm happy. We're going to chat afterwards about that. I can tell you more. But we're going to look at a few things about Jesus that the Joseph story can remind us of. Because Jesus Christ is the only rescuer in this book who is the true hero, right? He's my hero. I know he's the hero of many of you here. We're meant to look to him. He's the true hero. There's no flaws in him. There's no stupidity. There's no sin. It's just perfection. That's the reason he can rescue us. So Jesus, like Joseph, he was misunderstood and rejected by those he loved. Like Joseph, he had prophetic promises that he would be exalted. Like Joseph, he was stripped of his robe by his betrayers. Like Joseph, he was sold by someone he loved for silver. Like Joseph, was falsely accused and imprisoned. And like Joseph, he offered salvation to his brothers. Like Joseph, he gives bread to hungry people. And Jesus famously said, didn't he, even when he'd given bread, physical bread to feed people, he explained to them, but, but I'm what you need. I'm the bread of life. It's really about me, not sustenance. It's really about what you need to satisfy your souls." He gives bread to hungry people. And finally, people must bow to him. And that last one, I think, is the one where I want to focus because that's the most important one for us. People must bow to Jesus. We must bow to Jesus. Why? I tell you why. Because there is salvation or rescue in no one else. There's no other name. We read in the Book of Acts, under heaven. That means that just under heaven just means anywhere, anywhere in the world, anywhere under the sky, which is everywhere, right? There is no other name anywhere given among people by which we must be saved. Rescue for us is achieved by this one man, this one who performs the ultimate rescue. Because you see, if if you can cast your minds back, or if you can't remember, go and look at it later. In chapter 37, where we started the story of Joseph, we hear Jacob say to his 11th son, this 17-year-old boy, he says, your brothers are out, away, looking after the livestock. They're miles away somewhere, uh, grazing all the herds and he says I want you to go and check on the welfare of your brothers yeah the father sends his son to check on the welfare of his brothers and this son Jesus there's no comparison between Joseph and Jesus Jesus is the eternal divine son of God but he comes on this mercy mission to check on the welfare of, of his brothers and sisters of us doesn't he The Father sends him, but the Son is is entirely complicit in that decision. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. We know that our triune God, one God, together they hatch a rescue plan like no other. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth, takes on the flesh of a human being in order to see to the welfare of his brothers and sisters, of us. Isn't that amazing? just like... Blow your mind again. I know some of this stuff is so familiar. But he comes as a human being, and what does he come to do? He comes to live, he comes to die as a human being, and to rise a victor. To defeat things that actually seemed totally undefeatable death and sin, the power of sin in our lives. And he does that by dying and by rising a victor. And he lives today, doesn't he? He lives today. At the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. And we've already heard the scripture this morning that says he's even interceding for us. He's even pleading our cause by the very fact that he is there. That he has risen from death and offers us eternal life and freedom and joy. All the things that we need. We need rescuing from this world. Don't We need rescuing from sin and from our our destiny, which is death. We need a rescuer. And he comes to do this. So how, um, how do you get rescued? How do you, how do you do that? How do you attain that? And I think, uh, as I already said earlier, that other slide about, you know, as we see Joseph's brothers turn up and they're in need, they know they need saving from starvation. What do they do? They bow to this important man and they say, well, we know we're in need. We know we've got nothing to offer here. We need your help. And that's exactly what we do when we come to the hero Jesus, don't we? We we must bow. We bow to him. We acknowledge that he is the hero of the piece. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're watching a film or a play, or you're reading a book, and you're waiting. Who's the hero going to be? Is it going to be obvious? Is it going to be a twist? You know, we've seen through our story. Joseph has been a bit of a hero. I, don't, I think God is the hero in the Joseph story. Joseph certainly plays his part, but but Jesus is the hero. Of this piece. From start to finish. From the beginning to the end. We're supposed to look and see, yes. That's who the hero is of this story. That's who the hero is of our lives. That's who the hero is of this world. If we already read the salvation of no other name. There's nowhere else to go. For rescue. All we need to do is come. And bow to the rescuer. Surrender to him. That's what we've done. Those of us in this room who are Christians. We've recognized our need. For a saviour. And we've bowed and we said, yeah, Jesus, you're the hero of my life. You're the one who I'm going to bow to, surrender to, and live my life around from now till forever. Amen? Amen? Jesus, this is what I call this sermon, Jesus is the better saviour. He's the best saviour. Whether you see Joseph as a bit of a hero, he certainly has his moments, doesn't he? He certainly does some great things. Whether you see Abraham and the way he believed God, and the Bible says, and therefore God saw righteousness in him, the right way of doing things, to believe what God said. These people look a bit like heroes. But when you dig a bit deeper, Chris started the series back in September by saying this very thing. He's like, don't look in the Bible for heroes apart from Jesus. Because they're just like us, right, these people. They're just human beings that God uses. God will use them, God will use us if we let him. Jesus, the better saviour, the only true hero in the Bible. And what he does is he brings us into God's story. Sometimes I think we think we live our lives and then we hear the gospel and we hear about Jesus and we're like, oh yeah, I want that, I want to become a Christian. It's like, I want God in my life. But actually what God says is, no, 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 no. I want you over here in my story. I want to bring you into my story. And I want to bring you into my family. And rather than, as we've seen in Genesis, this family being one family in one place and one time, the family of Jacob or Israel that then goes on to grow and grow, this family now is wonderfully a family of all nations, races, languages, people, isn't it? God brings us into his family and into his story. And the only reason he can do this is because he is the only perfect human being that's ever lived. Because he's the divine, eternal son of God. I, I know some of you know this stuff so well, as do I. But it still blows my mind every time I think about this. That Jesus, the better saviour, the one rescuer, all that he's done, all that he enables me to do in being part of his family, in being drawn into what has famously been called the greatest story ever told. This incredible work, the Bible, God-inspired, written over hundreds of years, uh, some of it thousands of years old. You know, it's incredible. He brings us into his story. And like Tim has already shared, he brings us into his family. We can be planted somewhere where God is the Father and where Jesus is the hero. Do you like the sound of that? Uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And so there's two, um, there's two responses for us this morning. We've got a little bit of time, which is nice. I have warned Sharon that we're going to sing uh, in response to what we've heard. But there's two responses. Either you know that you've not yet surrendered your life and been brought into God's story and God's family. Because what that means is it's no longer your story. It's no longer about you and your agenda. It's about, uh, it's about him and his story. It's about you being plugged into the most incredible thing, which is the life of God, life eternal, life to the fullness. But it involves surrender. As we already said, it involves bowing to, to, to Jesus, the eternal Son of God. It involves laying down our agendas and ourselves and in return, we get the best package. We get life eternal. We get freedom. We get to know the God who made us, which is what we were made for, right? If you didn't know that, that's what human beings were made for. And so if you're not, if you think, well, I've been around a bit and I've heard this stuff, but I know I'm not yet actually surrendered and joined the family of God, then your response should be to come to find either me or Chris or somebody down here after the service and just talk to us. And we'd love to chat with you and pray with you because there is an opportunity every day. You don't need any special day to come to Jesus. Today is the best day. And for the rest of us, let's just, oh, let's just wonder at our saviour, can we? Our rescuer. yeah. The one that, you know, the Joseph story has been so great and we've learned so much. Uh, but I want my eyes always to be turned back to Jesus. He's the hero of the peace, isn't he? He's the hero. Salvation comes from no one else. Under heaven, under the sky, there's no other way of knowing God, of being rescued. And I know I've not completely explained what we call the gospel, the good news that enables you to do that, to come to Jesus and to find eternal life. But we're really willing just to chat with anybody, talk through further, just to explain a bit more what we're talking about there. So do, don't be shy. Do come and chat to us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you. And the rest of us. let us, just as we sing, Sharon's going to come up and I don't know who else. And as we sing, let's just turn our eyes to Jesus. Just celebrate him. Just bow to him again. Yeah? Surrender to him. There may even be things in your life that you think, yeah, I need to surrender this or this. You may just want to worship him and honor him for who he is. Amen.